ESPN Radio. Welcome to the Players Club on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, and E+. It's your boy Chris Canny rocking with the one and only Harry Douglas, fresh in off of This Is In with Max Kellerman. It's a Fat Tuesday, so we got a fat show planned for you today. Of course, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at ChrisCanny99 and at HDouglas83. And as always, tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-ESPN, that's 888-729-3776. We got to get into the NFL Combine, which is getting kicked off in Indy today, not only with the prospects that are going to be performing on the field, but also with the goings-on with front office personnel ahead of free agency It also with the last week of the franchise tag window. We got the latest on the Kyler Murray situation, as well as some overtures from the Packers GM about the Aaron Rodgers saga. But, Harry, there's only one place to start, and that is with that dude down in Memphis. That would be Ja Morant, who goes off and breaks the franchise record after he set it Saturday night at 46 points in a win over the Bulls, drops 52 against the San Antonio Spurs in the Memphis Grizzlies 118-105 win. And right now, this dude is just playing on another level. When you saw that performance last night from Ja Harry, what was your initial thoughts about what he did? Chris, it was the, the two plays, the, the the dunk over the big man, John Morant being 6'3", about 180, being able to go up over a big man and dunk on him, that's electrifying. But you've seen the baseball, the football pass that he caught, but then he had his little follow-through and hit the remac- miraculous shot at the buzzer. Man, John Morant's that dude. Listen, if I had to pay money right now to see anybody in the NBA, and I'll tell you right now, Chris, I don't like paying money to see nobody. But if I had to pay money to see anybody right now, it's going to be Ja Morant because he representing for us little guys. All I'm going to say is, Harry, in the month of February, he's had 44, he had 46, and then he's had 52. That, I mean, I, I don't know what you say about what John Moran is doing. He's taking his game to a different level, and this is when you want your star players to step up, right? When it comes right. to the stretch run of the regular season, trying to position yourself to have the best path in order to compete for a championship, we know how tightly contested the top of the Western Conference is with the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors. The Memphis Grizzlies are right there. And for context, I think people really need to understand The Memphis Grizzlies, if they were in the Eastern Conference, would have the best record in that conference. So that's how good this team is. I know that people want to dismiss them because of a lack of playoff experience. They were out after the first round last year. But this is a team that's a live dog when it comes to the potential for them to make a deep playoff run. And it really has everything to do with Ja Morant and how he elevates the play of everybody around him. He just makes everything so much easier for his teammates. And I think the biggest difference in Ja's game, Harry, from his first two years to this year is being more consistent with his perimeter range. Mm-hmm. He, he's extended his range out. I mean, there was one time in, in that game he pulls up from 32 feet in the first half, and it's just when you got a guy that's capable of doing that but then has the ability to beat you off the bounce with the quickness and the explosion, how do you stop that? How do you stay in front of that guy? You just can't. There is no answer for Ja Morant. And then with the supporting cast that they have down there in Memphis with 3J, with Desmond Bain, with slow-mo Kyle Anderson coming off the bench, DeAnthony Melton, Steven Adams, like they have a really good basketball team. The pieces complement one another, but Ja Morant is the engine that makes it all go. 
and this dude is playing at another level. So much so, Harry, that I got to ask you the question right now. Is John Morant the MVP of the league? Chris Canton, we starting this in the first, the first yeah, 20 minutes? Ha- ha- Harry, Harry, I got to ask you the question. I'm going to tee it up, but I'm going to give you a little bit of perspective first. According to Caesar Sportsbook, John Morant's MVP odds have moved from 16 to 1 to 12 to 1 following last night's game. He's behind Joel Embiid, who's plus 110, Nikola Jokic, who's plus 225, Giannis at plus 550, DeMar DeRozan at 10 to 1. I'm just asking the question. I'll let you go ahead and answer it, but is he the league's MVP right now? I'll say, if I'm looking at the league's uh, MVP right now, number one, Joel Embiid is my number one. Okay. But surprisingly, and I, and I say surprisingly very loosely right now, because John Moran is balling, he's my number two. Not Giannis, not Jokic. John Morant is my number two because when you look at him, look at all those guys that we mentioned, right? Besides DeMar DeRozan, I think DeMar DeRozan is what, about 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, mm-hmm. John Morant is 6'3", and he's doing it amongst trees. The man is, sh- is, is shooting basically 50% when you round up from the field. I never see him take huge shots at the hole. You know how some players, man, they go to the hole, they're always falling down and can never keep their balance, and they just look they're off balance at all time. That, that's mm-hmm. never the case with John Morant. And one of the things I love that John Morant does from the point guard position is that he controls the pace. Nobody mm. dictates to, to what he's going to do defensively. He's always in control, and you just mentioned his supporting cast. He sets those guys up and put those guys in great positions to be successful. So when I'm looking at an MVP, I'm looking at a guy, okay, can he make everyone around him better? Ja has done that. Check that can box. He to, can he lead his team? Uh, well, we talk about overall in the NBA right now. They're third in the West, and they have a what? What is it? What is the best, third best record in the uh, third National best record in the NBA? They're tied yeah, in the win column with the Golden State Warriors at forty-three. Ooh, check that box. Is that player consistent? Right, not have forty points here and then have 15, 20, and then have another forty-point game a month later. Is he consistent within his play? Check that box. Is he box office? Ooh, Chris, is he box office? John Morant is everything and more. So I like him at my number two. Here's the thing, Harry, and I didn't catch the Sports Center top 10 this morning. I usually watch it. I have a hard time imagining that John Morant's highlight plays from last night weren't one and two on the list. Like, that's how <laughs> spectacular they were. I mean, Bart Scott and I got into a, an Oklahoma drill on the set of Get Up this morning debating which one was better. He thought the one where he caught the baseball pass and hit the shot with .4 seconds left was better than the dunk no. over Jakob Hurdle. And no. I said, man, listen, from, from a highlight standpoint, just the sheer intimidation factor of John Morant punching it on a seven-footer, and he's taking off with one foot in the paint outside of the restricted area. That, that, to me, says all you need to know about John Moran. In the fourth quarter of that game, similar situation, Jakob Hurdle moved all the way out the way in order to let John Morant lay the ball up because he didn't want to get dunked on again. That's how special that dude is. But when it comes to the MVP conversation, I know you said you have Joel Embiid ahead of Ja. Our very own Jay Williams from KJM disagrees with you. Take a listen. As of right now, I have him slightly ahead of Joel Embiid and Jokic. Wait, you have him right now if the season ended Slightly ahead, yes. Why? Number one, they have the third best record in the entire NBA. They've had, they're 43 and 20. They've had the second best record since the calendar year has flipped behind the Suns. 
right? That That's in the entire NBA. I'm not talking about the Western Conference. Entire NBA. Number-wise, he's on par with what everybody's doing. Jokic, Giannis, Embiid. Embiid's numbers are a little bit different, but still. And the narrative. Who in the right mind had the Memphis Grizzlies being at the upper echelon of the Western Conference at the beginning of the season? You're rolling with the winners on ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas, Chris Canty, and... Harry, I will say this. I mean, Jay Williams is giving high praise to John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Keep it in mind, Jay said last week that he felt like the Memphis Grizzlies were going to the NBA Finals out of the West. That's how good he thinks this team is. And keep in mind, this is a Grizzlies team that gives the Golden State Warriors fits. Like, we've seen them match up several times this season, and that hasn't been an easy out. For the Golden State Warriors. So when you start comparing them to the teams that are battling for Western Conference supremacy, the Memphis Grizzlies are right there. And I love the attitude that John Morant comes to the arena every single night with and the tone that he sets for his team. He said that quote a couple of weeks ago, and I got to keep going back to it, Harry, because I think it's noteworthy. He said the team, the Memphis Grizzlies, we running up the chimney because we want all the smoke. And that says all you need to know about the mentality that John Morant is approaching every single game with. And with him performing that way, what we saw last night, what we saw against the Chicago Bulls, as a teammate of his on the Memphis Grizzlies, how could you not follow him? No, and I'll tell you this. Another key piece of their team, especially when it comes down to the postseason, a guy who I think defends very, very well. Uh, He's hurt right now, but he should be back at some point is Dylan Brooks. I think Dylan Brooks is a key piece to their team because he can defend on that perimeter. He gave Steph Curry hell last year Mm -hmm. in that play-in game. So a guy like that is going to be added to the nucleus of the guys that are playing very, very well right now. This team is scary. But I'll tell you this. I got to be honest with you, Chris. If I had to pick one team to come out of the West, I'm still going to go with the Golden State Warriors because I feel like over a seven-game span and – Having to win four games out of seven, I do think Golden State and their experience with that core group of Draymond, Steph, and Clay will get it done over the Memphis Grizzlies. I if you would have asked me at the trade deadline, Harry, I'd be right there with you because I think Steph Curry is capable of going nuclear at any given moment, and we know what that dude is. But then I got to say this, man. Watching Golden State blow that lead against the Dallas Mavericks and oh, then seeing how well – the Memphis Grizzlies play against teams over 500. I'm starting to lean in the direction that if it becomes if it comes down to a seven game series between those two teams, I would probably lean toward the Memphis Grizzlies because they're such a young outfit. They don't know what they don't know, and what they lack in experience, they 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 have in spades confidence, and that's the thing that I think takes them to the next level. That's the thing that I think could give them an opportunity to upset a Phoenix or a Golden State. Coming up next, with uncertainty surrounding the availability of Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving's future, how much added pressure is on Kevin Durant? Harry and I will have the answer for you, but first, we got to get to this word from eBay. We're going to get to this word from eBay any moment now. We're making you wait for it. Making you wait for it. All right, here we go with eBay. Harry, you ever had to wait this long for a read? Mm, uh, I hope I never have to. (laughs) All right, that's what I was about to say. When a part of your offense isn't firing on all cylinders, it shows, kind of like just now with our show. Maybe it's a drop ball, 
Maybe you just can't work your way down the field. When this happens, the only solution to replace that part is something better. It's the same with your car, but unlike in sports, a new batch of car parts can't be drafted every year. That's why eBay Motors exists. They have all the right parts at the right prices. In fact, eBay Motors has 122 million parts. Harry, that's a lot of parts. I'm just saying, I that's a whole lot some, of parts. I want but some, you know I what? I need some parts. I need you some need parts. those parts. You know why? eBay Motors can help you get the parts you need to make your car a winner, and that's what everybody wants. So visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. If there was one player that if I had 500 bucks to go to a game and sit courtside, I would go to Memphis to see John Moran. I think he is the most entertaining player there is in the game of basketball right now. Rebound grabbed by Adams Baseball to Morant. Morant! Oh! oh good oh. night! End it all right there! Jaka Pertle has been posterized! He's got a star in Ja, and they have got legitimate pros around him and a system and an identity that fits that unit perfectly. It's ESPN Radio. Chris Canny, Harry Douglas, we're also streaming on E+, Sirius XM Channel 80, and the ESPN app. And, Harry, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And, listen, I can wax poetic all show long about what we saw from Ja Morant, especially in the final four and a half minutes of that second quarter where Ja Morant just went ape on the San Antonio Spurs. He scored all 15 points that he scored in the second quarter in that four and a half minutes. I mean, the guy went on a 13-4 run by himself against the San Antonio Spurs. That's how special John Moran is. But I feel like we have to do ourselves a favor and talk about how special the Brooklyn Nets can be if they can get all of their pieces together. And that is the operative word, Harry, in all of this, if. Because I feel like we've been saying this for the last two years when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets' potential. But as my former coach, Bill Parcells, used to always say, potential just means you haven't done it yet. And when it comes down to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and now Ben Simmons replacing James Harden, constituting that big three, everybody is waiting on when we're going to see all of these guys on the court together. And now we've got the news about Ben Simmons, the uncertainty surrounding not only his mental health, but his physical health. He's been said to be dealing with low back soreness as he's going through this ramp up that Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets are putting him through. But the question remains, when are we going to see him? Because all signs point to doubtful for that March 10th date down in Philly with the Sixers. So the biggest questions are, when are we going to see Ben Simmons? What kind of shape is he going to be in, both physically and mentally? And then also, when is Kyrie going to be a full-time player? And then what can we expect from Kevin Durant in his debut, which is anticipated on the back half of this week? A lot of questions surrounding the Brooklyn Nets right now, even though they're considered one of the favorites to come out of the East. Well, when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, I, I want to know, well, first first things first, I want to know is Kyrie going to be able to play. So I think Mary Adams need to go ahead and make that decision now so we know ahead of time. Then number two, you mentioned Ben Simmons is not playing and he has this back issue. And I know a lot of those things come from uh, you're not doing too much because he wasn't playing in Philly. So you're not moving around. Uh, and sometimes your body get used to playing at a certain time, right? A certain certain year, certain time of the year. Mm-hmm. And Ben Simmons wasn't doing that. So he may have picked up an extra three, four, five pounds here and there. So now when you get back to doing a lot of basketball activities, now that starts to weigh on your lower back a little bit. So now he has that issue. I'm just trying to figure out if Kyrie Irving is not going to be able to play and Ben Simmons is not out there, then you have a lot of weight on Kevin Durant's shoulders. 
Also, when Ben Simmons does decide he's going to play and Kyrie is not out there, if Mayor Adams doesn't lift um, the, 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 the ban on, on, on Kyrie Irving being able to play uh, at the Barclays Center, Ben Simmons is not a viable second, op- second option. And I understand he's got a fresh start going into this with the Brooklyn Nets. But let's not, re- let's not forget what we've seen transpire in those playoffs last year either. It's not like he's just going to develop a bona fide jump shot in that short time span or that time period. So <laughs> now Kevin Durant is going to have even more pressure on him because you have a Ben Simmons out there who's not a bona fide shooter with just a Kevin Durant. Now, Grant, I understand you have Seth Curry out there. You have other little pieces. You got Goran, uh, Goran Dragic is coming. But listen, that's too much pressure on Kevin Durant. I know Kevin Durant is money when it comes to pressure. But this guy's coming off an injury, Chris. He's coming off an injury. So I don't think you can put all that pressure on Kevin Durant. And if I'm Ben Simmons, right, I'm trying to figure out what's my niche on this team. But it's hard to do that if you're not practicing. And right now, he's Mm -hmm. not practicing. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Let's take a listen to their head coach, Steve Nash, talk about Ben Simmons and where he's at right now. Ben is still working through uh, a number of things and reconditioning. And so he's... You know, not going to play this week, but uh, we'll keep working at his uh, timeline and hopefully he can progress as well. With Ben specifically, what is he doing physically now? And I guess what's the next step for him to clear, or next hurdle for him to clear to get back out there? He's just doing some light shooting and um, and just physical therapy, just uh, making sure that he gets that back 100%, just that little flare-up. And and while he does shooting and um and his kind of reconditioning stuff that he's able to do while that thing settles down. Clarify, if he's not going to, not going to practice this week, or yeah, not- I don't think he'll practice this week. Here's what I'll say, Harry. All all the working with shooting coach Kyle Korver, all of that stuff in the world. I don't know if that's going to make Ben Simmons a prolific mid-range or perimeter shooter. But what I will say is, I feel like this is more of a motivator cuff issue than it is an actual back injury, just because. This organization has been committed to making sure that they're looking at the Ben Simmons acquisition as a long-term boon, not necessarily worried about the short-term implications. So they want to make sure that from a mental health standpoint, he stays in a good place and that he's comfortable when they put him back out on the court. And I think that's something that's going to happen on the other side of the regular season matchup that they have in early March against the Sixers. So I understand where Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets are coming from, but I think a question that's fair to ask is how much responsibility does Steve Nash bear with everything going on in Brooklyn in terms of being able to right the ship? We want to hear from you guys on that question on the Candy Calling Line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And that is Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no contract, no compromise. Coming up next, mock draft season. And Mel Kuyper, with his latest mock draft, Harry and I will walk you through the big change at the top of that mock draft and explain what it means. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. ESPN Radio. It's the Players Club on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. Harry Douglas and Chris Canny. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on the candy call in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, Harry, it is Fat Tuesday, so I know a lot of folks are celebrating, but those draft prospects are also celebrating 
the culmination of a lifetime of work because those guys, most of them, are at the scouting combine getting ready for the biggest job interview that they will ever have. And, of course, that means that it's mock draft season and our very own Mel Kuyper Jr. hot off the presses drops his mock draft 2.0 with a huge change at the top of the mock draft. In his first mock draft, he had Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end from Michigan, going with the number one overall pick. Now he's got NC State offensive tackle Ikem Okwanu as the number one pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I know this is a defensive, uh, this is a draft that's heavy on the offensive and the defensive lines. You're talking about four offensive linemen and two defensive linemen in the top 10 picks in Mel Copper's mock right now, which always brings up the question of positional value. You can build teams a lot of different ways. A lot of teams elect to build through the trenches. We saw last year that Cincinnati, even though they had a need at offensive line, decided to draft Jamar Chase, and they ended up in the Super Bowl by getting Joe Burrow a bona fide number one receiver. So when it comes down to the question of how can the Jacksonville Jaguars most help Trevor Lawrence and how best to help any young quarterback develop, which direction do you lean in terms of how to build your roster? Is it fortifying the offensive line, or is it going out and getting the guys some weapons to throw to? Yeah, Chris, it, it, I, I'm going to give you my perspective, and I always felt like this, even being a wide receiver and playing the position for so long, I always felt that teams should be built up front first in the trenches. And saying that, when you're looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm taking uh, an offensive lineman with, with, with the first pick, and I'm, I'm going to protect Trevor Lawrence because when you look, look, look back at the season, right, Trevor Lawrence was sacked 32 times. Yep. He's a guy who threw 17 interceptions. But, Chris, it started in the preseason. When we was watching those preseason games and we seen Trevor Lawrence getting hit over and over and over and over again consistently to the point to where a lot of people in the media broadcasting was talking about, hey, at what point are, are they going to take Trevor Lawrence out the game so he doesn't get beat up so much so he can even last throughout a season? So when you look at that – I just feel like Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars have to draft offensive linemen, uh, even in free agency, because they have a lot of cap space as well, a lot of money to play with. But you got to sure up that offensive line up front and make sure your franchise, I was always taught your franchise quarterback, one thing you better do with your franchise quarterback, that's protect him. And I think that's the first thing that Jacksonville has to do, Chris. Harry, you're absolutely right. One of my former teammates, David Carr, who was the backup quarterback on our Super Bowl 46-team with the Giants, I remember watching that guy get the career beat out of him when he was a rookie with the Houston Texans. He was sacked 76 times, and he was a number one overall pick. High expectations, a really high ceiling as a prospect out of Fresno State, and it just did not work out. And a big reason why is because he developed a lot of poor habits down in Houston that didn't allow him to realize his full potential. And so you worry about that with Trevor Lawrence. And you're right. It started in the preseason. I remember that game against the Cleveland Browns where he was constantly under duress. And you were just wondering, with Urban Meyer as his head coach, was this kid going to be able to survive his rookie season? So Jacksonville addressing it at the top of the draft, Equem Ukwanu is a good way to go. I mean, even if they decided they wanted to go Evan Neal, I think it's a matter of taste when you start breaking down those two prospects. But, I mean, in terms of solidifying the offensive line, keeping your quarterback upright, that's always the way to go. But, Harry, just to push back a little bit, when you have a true difference maker at the wide receiver position, that guy can dictate front and coverage, (laughs) as you know, (laughs) and can make the picture for the quarterback pre-snap a lot cleaner. And why that's important is it helps a young quarterback in terms of understanding where he's looking at 
and understanding what he needs to do, where he needs to go with the football once he snaps the ball and he gets it in his hand. So I know you're a wide receiver. I know you got a lot of insight to that. So I need you to speak to that part of it because it was clear watching the Cincinnati Bengals this year that that absolutely made a difference for Joe Burrow in terms of elevating his play and and increasing his production at the quarterback spot. Yeah, and the the perfect example is the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, right? And their chemistry was so great to the point to where even if Joe Burrow was in trouble, he just felt comfortable just throwing it up and saying, you know what, my guy's going to make the play. You see the same thing with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Now, I understand the age difference, but I'm just using examples. You You see Aaron Rodgers. I have that guy, Devontae Adams. I can just throw it up no matter what. Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. I have that guy. I can just throw it up. Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown. That playoff game against the Bengals, he made that one-handed catch for a touchdown when they were coming back. When you have a guy at the wide receiver position that's a difference maker, and no matter if he's double-covered, one-on-one, he can run routes in zone, he can catch the ball in traffic, he makes the contested catches, it makes your job easier as a quarterback. Now, I think the first thing – a quarterback wants, especially a franchise quarterback, is a friendly tight end because that's a, that's a quarterback's best friend. But if you mm-hmm. don't have that, that star receiver, a guy that you can count on over and over again to make a play, even when a play is not there, that's great to have. Jamar Chase, just in case everybody was wondering, went for over 1,800 yards this year, including the playoffs, and 14 touchdowns. That was a match made in heaven. But I do tell everyone this, that's not going to happen for everybody because at the end of the day, Joe Burrow – was hurt in year one. He got hurt in that Super Bowl. But I think it works for Cincinnati, and they have the cap space to address those needs offensive line-wise in free agency as well this year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they do have the cap space to address those issues, and that's something that they're going to look at, whether it ends up being Teron Armstead, the tackle from the New Orleans Saints, who's going to be a free agent. I don't think New Orleans can clear enough cap to franchise tag him. So I think that's a guy that you might look at out there on the open market. There'll be other alternatives, but addressing the offensive line and trying to put a fortress in front of Trevor Lawrence is a way to go. The same thing for the Cincinnati Bengals. That's going to be an opportunity for them to build on as well. But just looking at the mock draft that Mel Kuyper has, in the first half of the the top half of the first round, Harry, when you start talking about positional value, whether it's quarterbacks, uh, pass rushers, offensive linemen, or corners, there's only two guys that are not fitting the bill when it comes to those positions. And I want to say it's Utah's Devin Lloyd and Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton. Outside mm-hmm. of that, you're talking about guys that are you know playing positions that we would dub the most valuable positions in the National Football League. If I had to power rank the positions of importance in order, you're talking about the quarterback, the guy that knocks down the quarterback, which is the pass rusher, the guy that protects the quarterback from the pass rusher, which is tackle, and in a shutdown corner. Those are the positions of value. And so when we have the conversation about how teams should draft, I think scarcity always has to factor in. And those are the positions that are always hardest to find when it comes to free agency. Why? Because when teams have guys that excel at those positions, they generally don't let them go. There's a reason why, as far as pay scale goes, those guys are at the top of the market when it comes to average annual salary. So something to keep an eye on, as always, but – I mean, in looking at this mock draft from Mel Kuyper, it gets me fired up because I know the NFL draft is right around the corner. But before we get to that, we got free agency as well. And, Harry, you as you know as well as I do, the scouting combine is not just about what happens on the field. 
in terms of looking at these guys go through the underwear Olympics, but it's also about networking and the meetings between front office personnel and agents as a primer for free agency. Yeah, man, and I don't understand uh, why some of these coaches decided they don't want to go to the combine. And I think it's it's coaches that are familiar with each other, though, Chris. When I when I started looking at this, right, you look at Shanahan and Sean McVay and then Robert Sala. All these guys have been together at some point. So it's like all of them think alike. And I'll tell you, I'll be the first to tell you, if you're New York Jackson, you're Robert Sala, you need to be at the damn combine. <laughs> you, did you, were you not at the games watching the team play this year? You need to be at the combine evaluating every bit of talent that you can. But it is an opportunity at this combine to uh, free agent guys and you have your agents meeting with personnel people for the teams and trying to get trades done, trying to get deals done. It is a networking opportunity as well. So you have all those things that happen at the combine, and it's not just for the, the players that are coming to the NFL to go out there and perform. When you look at business, it's a place of business to get things done, Chris. Yeah, a lot, a lot is going down tonight at St. Elmo's. They're going to be doing a Fat Tuesday celebration, but they're also <laughs> going to be talking about some fat contracts for some impending free agents that are going to be setting the market in March 16th when free agency opens. But, Harry, we got plenty of time to continue to get into that. But coming up next, deadlines make deals. So why did MLB extend theirs from yesterday until today? Harry and I will have the answer for you on the other side of the break. You're listening to ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. And Harry, yesterday was the deadline for Major League Baseball and the Players Association led by Tony Clark to come to some agreement before Major League Baseball and the owners said they would consider canceling games at the start of the season, and that those games would not be made up. Well, in the 12th hour last night, they decided that they were going to extend said deadline until 5 p.m. today, and now we're getting word from Jesse Rogers and others that the, tr- the talks about the new collective bargaining agreement had broke down, and a spokesperson from the league had this to say about the MLPA, and I quote, the MLPA had a decidedly different tone today and made proposals inconsistent with prior discussions. We will be making our best offer before the 5 p.m. deadline for the MLPA. That's a fair deal for players and clubs. Now, of course, we know when owners say it's a fair deal, Harry, we look at them with the sideline because when is it ever a fair deal when you come to dealing with players, knowing that it's billionaires going up against a few millionaires and a bunch of thousandaires? Yeah, and this this is tough because we all know owners, right? They want money. But, Chris, I'm going to put it in these terms so everybody can really understand it. It's like, you know how minimum wage was a certain amount, but everything in the world started going up, right? Mm-hmm. Everything starts going up, going up, going up, going up. So the owners of, of companies started making all this money, but the employers are still making the same amount of money. It doesn't make sense. So I transferred that to baseball, right? You look at the field. The profit is coming in, but the extra money that's coming in is not going to the players. So the players basically, in so many words, say they're tired of it because I do believe – uh, the CBA before this one uh, just expired was not a good one for baseball either. It was not mm-hmm. a good one for players, and I thought they got a raw deal out of that one. So I commend the players to say enough is enough uh, because at the end of the day, 
players make this sport, and owners are going to be owners, and I understand that they're billionaires, and I'm just happy that the players aren't caving so they can get exactly what they want, so they don't get screwed over another, another few years down the line as well. When it comes to the four major pro sports leagues in this country, Harry, I would say that Major League Baseball has the most contentious relationship when it comes to the players and the owners. And you would like to see these two groups be able to find a path forward sooner rather than later just because you want the health of the sport to to continue to be as such where you can appeal to a younger demographic of fan. Right now, Major League Baseball has the oldest average fan base in comparison to any of the other three major sports leagues, and that's a problem for them because while it doesn't show up in the short term, when you start trying to create new fans for your games and you talk about trying to cross over in different generations, not just the baby boomers, but having millennials and having Gen Zers, Major League Baseball has got a problem. And this public bickering about money whether it was in the pandemic and trying to figure out what they were going to do with that shortened season, and now with negotiating a collective bargaining agreement, this can't be good for your sport. And so that's the thing that I hope that everybody is aware of when these conversations, when these negotiations are happening, being aware of how this is playing out in the court of public opinion and how your potential fans are responding to this because lost in all of it, is what the fans feel and how the fans feel about missing games and missing baseball, especially at the start of the season. There might not be more optimism when it comes to, you know, a a professional sports league than when we talk about opening day for baseball. Think about how big that is for the sport of baseball. When you talk about March 31st and everybody excited about their team having an opportunity to win a pennant, to win a World Series, that's huge. And to be for, you know, to kind of, Give that up, in essence, and, and and not necessarily be on the forefront of the American sports conscious when it's your season. I think it leads to a missed opportunity when it comes to trying to appeal to a younger fan base. Yeah, and when you look at open opening day, especially here in the South, I know up north the weather might all not always be up to par mm-hmm. um, in certain places, but it is like a little mini holiday down here in the South, Chris, down yep. here in Atlanta, where I am right now. So. When If you cancel an opening, opening day, you're canceling a lot of hope for a lot of young fans as well to be able to experience things. And I know here in Atlanta, the Braves won the World Series. I know so many people across this, this state of Georgia that are looking forward to opening day uh, for the Braves when they do have their first home game because I think their first game is away, supposed to be, if the season starts. Yep. Uh, but when you look at all this stuff that's going down, I know a lot of people, and I was reading a lot of things too, I know a family man that said, you know what? We're not going to get season tickets this year. It's just too much. I know another family that was counting on taking their kids down to spring baseball and getting those opportunities as a birthday present. That has been shattered. So you have all kind of things like that that are leaving this bad taste in families' mouths, and they might not return to baseball because of it. And that's the thing, Harry. When you start talking about the young fans, it's a slow game by nature of it, right? You're, You're talking about a lot of inactivity. It's home run strikeouts and not a whole lot in between. So from that standpoint, you have a hard time getting families to commit to watching three and a half, four hour games. But then beyond that, it's hard because it's not appointment television. You got 162 games. So it's just one of those situations where because of the pace of the game, and because of the lack of urgency, knowing that you can just turn it on the next day and watch your team, it, it does make it a struggle for baseball to continue to maintain its standing with professional sports leagues in this country. But coming up next, Joe Shane and Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback right now 
We'll see whether that's true, ESPN Radio.